You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA. We certainly appreciate you joining us today and making us a part of your day on the farm or at work, whatever it is you are up to today. And we've got a lot of action here in the world of agriculture today. We are seeing the markets trade for the first time in three days after the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. We're going to discuss that market action with Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing here in just a moment. Then in segment two, we're going to take a look at the weather. There is a potent storm system making its, well, taking aim, I should say the central parts of the country, plus all of the activity out in California and in South America. John Baranek of DTN Weather will be joining us here in a bit. And then in segment three, we're going to talk cattle policy. Kent Backus, executive director of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, will join us. We're going to talk through some of those new names on the House Ag Committee and what it might mean for that farm bill discussion as it begins to accelerate. Before we get into all of that, however, let's talk about these markets. Joining us now is Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing in Britain, South Dakota. Dwayne, how are things looking up in the Dakotas? Hey, not too bad. Pretty white, but uh, pretty de- <laughs> not not horrible considering winter, I guess. It is that time of year, Dwayne. I want to talk to you here about what's developing in the in the markets in Chicago. We saw last week corn have a pretty substantial rally to end the week. It doesn't look like that momentum is carried forward to today, has it? No, it hasn't, you know, but like you said, a really nice rally last week, maybe got a little bit further away from some of those moving day averages the trade likes to stay close to, for example, the 20 and 50 day moving averages. So to correct a little bit, it wouldn't shock me at all, but you know, gosh, ever since we opened up last night into nine o'clock this morning, now we've recovered a little bit and trading at near session size, you know, just down about a penny or uh, unchanged right now. So I, not a horrible trade, you know, still digesting that bullish report last week, less supplies in the U.S., but of course, demand still in question moving forward. Indeed, Dwayne, as you take a look at those smaller supplies revealed last week from the USDA, how much does that change what your targets are here in the spring months for corn sales? You know, actually, for me, it probably doesn't change my sales that much. I, I'm still looking at a continuous chart and seeing a gap around that 730 area. It were 673 right now, so that's pretty significant rally. But I, I think come springtime, you could see a decent rally. Uh, one, because of what you mentioned, the lower U.S. stocks. I mean, 833 million bushels less than a year ago. That's significant. But also the increase in winter wheat acres, 3.7 million there. So I look for a little acre battle this spring. The problem is the spring is a little ways away. So we might do a lot of sideways chart action until then. Indeed. And of course, we've got so much to discuss with South American soybean production coming online. Dwayne, we are seeing some weakness today in the soybean markets as the trade gathers steam again. Has weather improved down in South South America? It is a little bit in the extended forecast again. You know, that for the futures market, that's always the most important one. It's not what's happening right now. It's the extended forecast. Argentina is still fairly hot and dry, and Dr. C has lowered his Argentina soybean production forecast again. Another 2 million metric ton lower than last week. So he's down to 39 million metric ton. That's significant and giving the market a little bit of support. But we're seeing a, a change in weather pattern is what some of the forecasts are calling and, and better rains in the extended forecast. So maybe be getting a little bit defensive there this morning and also about like corn you know we rallied pretty sharply last week you know failed to make new uh, short-term highs so maybe just a little bit of profit taking too but there again there's another you know a commodity with really good uh, suppliers tight supply situations and really good underlying support under the market Absolutely. Dwayne, thinking ahead to this coming crop, this 23 crop will be going in the ground. Inputs are astronomical. Are you making any sales so far, either in corner beans on new crop? On the new crop, I'm not. Not, not after Thursday's report anyway. I kind of feel like they, they need to buy some acres next year. Now, if somebody wants to sell some soybeans when we get near that $14 mark, I sure as heck don't stop them because that's good profitability. And and honestly, as white as it is in North Dakota, maybe there's an increase in soybean acres coming forward. We'll, we'll have to see come springtime for sure. That will be interesting. That acreage battle will be one to watch as we get closer to planting season. Dwayne, while we've got you, we always love talking livestock markets. What are you watching this week here in the live cattle trade? 
Well, we're a little defensive to start the week, and we were defensive going into the the holiday weekend as well. Cash cattle traded after the market closed last week, about a dollar to two dollars lower than than the prior week. So that's a little disappointing. Slaughter was really large last week, but weights are still down, and you know, slaughter being big, that that's a double edged sword. You can look at it as, oh wow, there's more cattle out there than we thought, or you can look at it as, oh wow, they pushed more cattle through, so there's less cattle coming down the line in the week or two. Uh, I look for cattle to find support, though, and box beef to find some better demand shortly here anyway in this cattle market, like I said, to find support and, and grind high grit. Still friendly the cattle and especially the feeders as well. Dwayne, that's a really good comment. That big slaughter pace can be read one of two ways. From your perspective, is it an indication that we're going to have fewer supplies in the future or is it telling you that we've got more supplies on hand than we thought? I think it's just the fact that, actually, I think demand's a little stronger than the Packer would like to let on right now. You know, I think they'd like to keep that somewhat quiet. I think they wanted to kill a lot of cattle last week, pulled up maybe some contracted cattle, things like that, pushed them through. Because I think in the spring, I think boxes are higher and cattle are higher. So I think it's the bullish side of that story. Dwayne, it is fascinating to watch that cattle market. And we've got a $10 carry here looking out to December of 23 in that market. So there seems to be some optimism in the futures. There is. I mean, we're pretty confident that the herd numbers are are lower and probably should stay that way. And then, of course, once cattle producers start to see the profit, what we tend to do is keep more heifers back in retention, seeing profitability. Well, by doing that, then we rally the market even more because there's less cattle ready to be slaughtered. And that's why you see that premium in those deferred contracts. And it's nice and I'm bullish, but you know, if somebody wants to be hedging out there, I don't have a problem with it at all. All right. Certainly makes some sense when the when the dollars are that big in this market. Dwayne, looking at the global scene, we've seen the dollar value be a headwind for commodities for the better part of 2022. As we push into 2023, though, that dollar value is getting closer to 100. Is this going to be a tailwind for commodities looking forward? I think it really will, especially if we can break that 100 mark. And I don't know if we can or not. I think we probably trade around it for the most part this spring. But yeah, you know, there's been more talk of, yes, this inflation will slow our economy down, but maybe it's not going to be the slam recession we all thought about. And, you know, getting the dollar lower just helps our commodities as well. The problem is, you know, someone like China hasn't been a huge buyer yet the last two years. But remember, they just had COVID the last two years, and now they're opening up. I look for China to come back and really restock the shelves, as you could say, in 2023, especially if we have a lower dollar. You know, it's interesting you bring that up. Dwayne, one of the headlines here over the past couple days has been the first drop in Chinese population in 60 years. Does that maybe scare some investment money out of uh, soybean futures? I think maybe just a little bit, you know, a little cause of concern, uh, but that's still a really big population over there. And, and I think really due to COVID the last two years, I think they used a lot of their own reserves. So even if their population isn't growing moving forward, you know, babies weren't going to eat a whole lot of soybean meal obviously this next year. I think they restocked their shelves and that'll give us a, a better rally here in our soybeans in the future. All right, we'll be watching for that to come down the line, folks. We've been talking to Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing. Dwayne, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, anytime. Thanks for having me, Mike. And folks, stick around. We're going to talk weather with John Baranek of DTN Weather here when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. And each month, we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month. And you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. Each season, farmers put it all on the line. So it's just good business to get every advantage you can. That's why the Roundup Ready Extend crop system created the Spray Early Weed Control Guarantee. When you spray before or at planting, you can give yourself a season-long advantage over weeds, and it can help boost your yield potential. Show weeds you mean business and learn more about guaranteed weed control at roundupreadyextend.com slash spray early. Guarantee is subject to program terms and conditions. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. 
I think farming picked me. <laughs> I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With Channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Hello, folks, and welcome back to AOA. Thanks for joining us today. Our next topic is the weather. Joining us now to take a look at this active radar map is John Baranek of DTN Weather. And, John, thanks for joining us today. Oh, always good to talk with you, Mike. Thanks for having me on. You know, I was pulling up the radar this morning, and it certainly looks, John, like we have a lot going on across the country here on uh, on Tuesday. What are you watching first? What are some of the weather events you're watching here in the next couple of days? Yeah, you're right. We sure do. We have kind of two big systems moving across the country right now. Uh, first one's really up, kind of spinning around the Great Lakes. And uh, showers yesterday were a lot more impressive than they are today. But we've still got some pretty decent uh, um, showers, mostly rain, um, which is unusual for January here across the Great Lakes. Uh, and that arcs on through the, the mid-Atlantic and into the southeast. That'll all be pushing its way eastward today. Um, not a whole lot of hazards associated with that storm system left over. But really, our focus is turning into one going through the Four Corners area. Uh, that one doesn't look as impressive on radar because it's going through the mountains. But once it breaks into the plains here later today, it's going to be uh, uh, quite a big storm system. We'll get uh, a really heavy band of snow developing across northeastern Colorado, um, extending through Nebraska uh, both today and tomorrow. And then we'll watch that kind of morph its way eastward across Iowa, Minnesota, and Wisconsin with some more heavy snow. Um, snowfall amounts with this look like they're going to be in the kind of 6 to 12 inch range for a lot of folks in there. Um, some areas in, in Colorado, Nebraska could see over a foot of that of snow there. Uh, but one other, you know, big impact from this is, is actually the, the rain. So um, this system is digging deep enough southward where it's pulling in some decent moisture from the Gulf of Mexico that will get some showers over West Texas and, and Southwest Kansas, some areas that haven't seen rain in maybe a couple of months, even in our active pattern we've had, uh, haven't gotten a whole lot of precipitation out of anything. Uh, looks like they've got a decent shot at some here going through tonight and tomorrow. Okay, so that system, Four Corner Region, today it's developing. It will start to accelerate. John, how far south do you see that snow line coming from this, this system that's developing over the next couple of days? Yeah, anything heavy looks kind of um, kind of I-70 northward. So uh, kind of northeast Colorado, maybe the far northern portions of Kansas 
um, and then most of, of uh, Nebraska um, as it, as it kind of moves its way eastward. It should stay north of Illinois for the most part. So it kind of if you can kind of draw a picture uh, there from northern Kansas through northern Missouri and then kind of along the Mississippi River there through uh, Iowa and, and Illinois and then into southern Wisconsin is where kind of expect that uh, rain snow line to set up. Now, as this system develops, John, are we going to be concerned about high wind? Is there an ice threat coming with this, or will it be just a heavy, big winter snowfall? Well, there may be some ice with it, and that would be kind of on that southern edge of that band of snow, um, especially tomorrow morning across kind of the Nebraska-Kansas border in southern Iowa, northern Missouri. We may see some ice out of that. Um, some stronger winds, honestly, it doesn't look too bad with this system on the backside of it, kind of Wednesday night into Thursday, we might see some stronger winds, but it's nothing like that would create any blizzard conditions, maybe some blowing snow a bit. Um, but nothing that we've seen, you know, with uh, some of the other storm systems recently with creating blizzard conditions. Well, that is a relief, especially for those folks tending to livestock in that severe weather. John, well, speaking of severe weather, this past weekend we saw another outbreak of severe weather. Some tornadoes spotted on Martin Luther King Day, I believe, in Iowa. It, is this an indication that perhaps La Nina is starting to fade? It feels like this is a pretty big transition weather-wise, but what do you think? Yeah, I mean, the pattern does have a look of more of an El Nino than a La Nina um, over the last few weeks. Um, and that's certainly been the case with the temperatures. Um, you know, usually during La Nina's, the, the north central U.S. is pretty darn cold. Uh, we just haven't seen that over the last few weeks. Um, but we're getting back into that pattern uh, come this weekend. So the, the system, the major storm system we just talked about uh, is probably the last of the what you might call El Nino storms that are the, the big storms that we've been seeing lately. Um, as we move forward, we'll see a lot more clipper type systems. Um, and uh, we've got one of those kind of developing here this weekend into next week, but then we'll have a, uh, several more of them following that uh, next week and then into, into February as well. So we'll be getting rid of kind of these, um, you know, warmer systems and we'll be trending towards more of the colder ones. All right, John, as that push towards neutral and that Southern Oscillation Index continues, are we going to see more moisture push its way across the Southern Plains? You mentioned the potential for some showers here this week. Could that grow as La Nina fades? Um, it could. Um, emphasis on could. Um, you know, I have a, a famous predecessor. Um, it, well, he's not famous, famous to me, I guess, but uh, that always... Uh, told me when in drought, leave it out. So, you know, it's, it's really hard to get um, precipitation over drought areas when they've been in drought for so long. Um, it takes a, a major pattern change to do that. Uh, the breakdown of La Nina certainly could. Um, it's, it's unusual that that would happen here during this winter um, because usually La Nina tends, even though it's fading away, tends to influence our weather here for another couple of months um, even though it's, it's, uh, it's gone. So it takes the atmosphere, you know, some time to really readjust to those conditions. So that would put us kind of late spring for a potential here of, of seeing some better rainfall down there. And, um, you know, when we look at some of these years in the past where we go from a La Nina in the winter to neutral conditions, or maybe even an El Nino during the late summer, as we're kind of expecting, um, the Southern Plains don't honestly fare too well. Uh, in terms of precipitation. So I think the the chances for that are, are um, unfortunately kind of low still. Not zero. I mean, anything can happen with the weather, right? But uh, uh, what we've seen in the past just does not support um, some widespread uh, moisture moving back into the Southern Plains. All right. Bad news there for those livestock producers on the Southern Plains who are struggling through another third year of drought, at least in some places. But John, we've also seen here in the past month that sometimes drought categories can be eliminated rather quickly with the right weather scenario. California continuing to be inundated with rain. Do you expect those storm systems to continue? Boy, uh, yeah. And you know, if you, if you look at uh, a lot of the indicators for drought, I mean, California should be out of it. Their snowpack in the Sierras is up above where it should be for April 1st. So they're two and a half months ahead of schedule in terms of snowpack. Um, and they're continuing to build it. Now, of course, that could diminish with some melting here over the next few months. But um, they've got a chance to really have some uh, good moisture starting um, 
their new water year and uh as as we as we warm up at least and um uh soil moisture across the state is well above normal um but if you look at the drought monitor they're, they're still in moderate to severe drought i mean they've just been in drought for years um this is the uh really the third straight year of them being in some form of drought just continuously um, they have not been able to eliminate that so um, it just takes a lot now we'll see on the newest drought monitor that updates here on thursday whether or not we eliminate some of this drought because i mean from what i'm looking at there's a lot of indications that there shouldn't be any drought over california but we'll see if um, uh, those folks there at the drought mitigation center uh, agree but um you know unfortunately for them as we get back to this Kind of La Nina pattern that supports dryness over the West, which is why they built up so much drought in the first place. And um, um, you know, once we get back into that, you know, the storm systems kind of go through the Pacific Northwest and then move down the Rockies, but they don't really hit California too much. So I mean, they've they've gotten uh, into a good position right now, but uh, it's all a question mark on whether or not they can hold that going into into the new. Uh, uh, new season. That's a great point, John. We've got the market looking down to South America right now. As you watch those soybeans begin to come out of the field, what's your expectation for weather across Brazil? Yeah, Brazil is looking still pretty wet. I mean, it's it's pop-up showers and thunderstorms, so they don't hit everywhere every day, um, but they could uh, hit, you know, several areas several days in a row. Um, those look like, I mean, th that's normal for this time of year anyway, so those farmers down there are pretty used to this. And uh, that looks to pretty much continue here as we go through um, the next couple of weeks. So as they're pulling soybeans out, they'll be dodging showers. But everything um, for, for soybeans has been really good across Brazil, except for that far southern state of Rio Grande do Sul. And that's a, that's a, um, a pretty big production state. It accounts for about 14% or so of the soybean production in Brazil. And they've been dealing with drought just as much as Argentina has for the most part. Any relief in sight for the Argentinians? Well, they have some spotty showers here over the next couple of days, and they'll get a cold front that comes through that looks like it might have some pretty decent showers with it um, as we uh, kind of go through Friday and into Saturday. Um, but then it gets dry again behind it. And it, before that front comes through, temperatures are up near 100 degrees again. So, uh, you know, the showers that are coming just aren't really all that helpful uh, when temperatures are just that hot. So things just continue to be pretty poor down there in Argentina. All right. The trade will no doubt be watching that forecast continue to develop in South America. Thanks to John Baranek of DTN Weather for joining us today. John, always appreciate your insight. And always good talking with you, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Folks, stick around. Kent Backus from NCBA will join us when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Pride. It runs deep for those in agriculture. But that pride can also prevent farmers from asking for help when it's needed most. An injury, illness, or natural disaster is a heavy burden for any operation to bear. Farm Rescue is here to help shoulder that burden. We are a nonprofit organization helping farm families in crisis with free planting, haying, and harvesting assistance. There is no pride lost when it comes to Farm Rescue. Learn more at farmrescue.org. When it comes to making plans, you are the best. What about those round trips, which are perfect on your way there and perfect on your way back? Or those meetings with friends, surprise parties, camps, birthdays. The same way you plan for the important moments, start planning to protect you and your loved ones from a natural disaster. Sign up for local weather and emergency alerts. Prepare an emergency kit and make a family communications plan. Get started at ready.gov plan. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, we have concerns again about the Chinese economy. That seems to be weighing into our market trade here as we come back for the Martin Luther King Jr. Day holiday. Mostly lower in the grains, continuing what we saw in the overnight. A little more pressure in beans here as we get into the day session with moderate losses in beans and in all three wheat classes while corn is down slightly. Mixed activity in livestock with cattle down moderately. The hog market seeing a decent 
decent bounce here. Triple digit gains there. Crude oil up about 1%. The Dow Jones is down about 150 points here as we work through our trade. Now, I mentioned the Chinese economy. Their gross domestic product rose 3% in 2022, which fell far below the government's 5.5% target for the year as COVID restrictions clamped down on economic activity. The number is uh, one of the lowest on record as well for Chinese uh, GDP growth and it is continuing to add to some of the longer-term concerns about the Chinese economy and trying to get that back uh, to more normalcy coming out of the COVID lockdowns and more. And what would that do for ag imports to China and exports, of course, from the U.S., etc.? So a lot of concerns, uh, it appears, in the ag markets once again here as we see some of these uh, less-than-desired numbers for the Chinese economy. Meantime, we uh, continue to watch weather. South America, a few better rain chances in Argentina and parts of southern Brazil. Still a lot of dryness concerns, though, in Argentina that we have to keep our eyes on. And after uh, a few days of good bullish momentum, we could also be taking a bit of profit here to start the week coming out of the long holiday weekend. We'll trade the headlines and then get back to more fundamentals again. Seeing pressure in beans and wheat, corn down slightly, and that mixed activity in cattle and hogs. Cattle are going to be gearing up for a cattle on feed report Friday. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and the feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference bite by bite. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're going to turn our focus to the protein segment, the cattle market. Joining us now is Kent Backus. He serves as the Executive Director for Government Affairs at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. And Kent, things are picking up in Washington, D.C. this week, aren't they? Well, uh, you know, I think we've already started off this year uh, with uh, just a little bit of a stumble out of the gate, uh, you know, getting leadership uh, confirmed and uh, and now finally getting uh, some of the committee spots filled. Uh, I think we're going to see, you know, Congress start to list some hearings and work on some issues here in the near future. Absolutely. It's good to see some rubber meeting the road here on the congressional front. I want to talk, Kent, about that Ag Committee. We did see the Republicans list. They've got some new faces joining the Ag Committee. In fact, they've got some new faces who might know what how it works. Frank Lucas jumps out at me as a new addition to the Ag Committee. Is that a win for Cattlemen? Yes. And, I, you know, uh, you know, Mr. Lucas is not really a, uh, a new face. He's just kind of, uh, you know, because he's he's chaired the committee before and he's been uh, you know, pretty active on a lot of issues. He's been a real champion on uh, a lot of cattle industry issues. So I think, you know, that's a, that's definitely a good addition. It'll be good to have you know, someone with some experience there. Uh, you know, but when you look at, at some of the other, uh, some of the other members and some of the new faces, uh, I think you've got a, a lot to work with here and, you know, we're excited to see the committee start to work on a farm bill sometime soon. Yeah, they are expecting. Do we know when that process is supposed to get started officially? Well, I mean, unofficially, it started just a few days ago with one of the first listening sessions. You know, Mr. Thompson, uh, Chairman Thompson has already been out there uh, kind of setting uh, some expectations. But, uh, you know, I think I think we could see the first uh, hearings here in just, a, a you know, a, I would say a matter of weeks. I can't uh, put a specific time on that, but I know that he and uh, his team are eager uh, to get working on this and keep in mind, they're going to have to uh, have something done, either a reauthorization or an extension 
by the end of September. I just think given some of the gridlock and the realities out there, it's going to be really difficult to get uh, both the House and the Senate to reauthorize the Farm Bill uh, by September, but it's not impossible. Not impossible. All right. Well, that is a piece of good news for those folks who are about to begin that process in earnest. Kent, I understand NCBA is preparing for this next year. I recently made some policy committee changes and, and announcements over there at NCBA, didn't you? We did. So, uh, you know, we're excited. Uh, you know, every every two years we uh, we kind of rotate leadership within our committees. Uh, we have a, a very good representation, geographic representation from across the country. We, we have uh, committee members from Nebraska, Missouri, North Dakota, Wyoming, Texas, Oklahoma, California, Tennessee, and Virginia. So really, you know, coast to coast, north to south, we, we cover the, the whole country. And I think that is a representation of our, mem- our membership. Keep in mind, these are going to be some key positions uh, on, on issues, you know, like cattle markets, tax and credit, trade. Uh, you know, just uh, ag policy in general, where we really need to dig in and rely on some of their expertise to, to help uh, focus the efforts of the committee, of the, of the policy, uh, uh, the policies themselves, uh, but also to give guidance to staff. You know, there's a lot of times when I need to talk with uh, the committee uh, chair and vice chair who oversee trade issues or oversee tax issues just to get their insight and direction and, and then work with our policies, you know, to to determine how best uh, for NCBA to proceed. And that that just goes to show you that we are truly a grassroots organization driven uh, by these grassroots leaders. Absolutely. And Kent, uh, to look ahead a little bit, a lot of those grassroots leaders will be coming down to New Orleans the first couple days of February 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, of course, for the NCBA CattleCon. You're going to have a lot to discuss there from a policy front, aren't you? Oh, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of excitement uh, in the industry right now. Uh, you know, we are, uh, I think we're starting to see cattle prices make some improvements, still not uh, where we need them to be, but I think we, we've definitely seen the market, uh, you know, and make some, make some improvements, but there's also some, some general concerns and issues we need to talk about. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, inflation is going to be one of the things that's discussed, uh, but also just, you know, making our members aware of some of the regulatory issues that are going to come up over uh, the next year or so. Uh, so this is a good opportunity for us to, to share information, to share ideas, and to really, uh, for, for us as staff, to be able to take direction uh, from our members and to hear their concerns. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of interest about Farm Bill and about you know the, our priorities and, and what we uh, you can hopefully secure the farm bill, but also some of the issues that we want to see out of the farm bill. So uh, this time in New Orleans is invaluable. I, I definitely uh, recommend uh, if people have the opportunity, they should come down and join us. We're expecting you know some large numbers there, but it's just a great overall experience and just a good way to get involved. Kent, you mentioned the farm bill, and of course, those discussions coming from the producers working their way through the associations, eventually getting in front of Congress, that discussion is going to take the better part of 2023. In the meantime, you highlighted some of the regulatory issues that cattle producers could face this year. What are a few that you're really keeping a close eye on here as the year gets started? Well, you know, I think, you know, one of the big ones is going to be what happens with waters in the United States and uh, in which way the administration wants to go there. So everybody's paying attention on that. Uh, we know that, the, you know, there, there are some efforts on Packers and Stockyards. So there's going to be some things that we're going to need to, to look at there. Uh, on the, uh, on the I, w- I would think, you know, with some of these other bigger issues, some of these longer issues, uh, we would like to see some progress on the product of USA labeling issue that, that NCBA is, is kind of helped spearhead that discussion. Uh, we know that USDA has been looking, uh, <clears throat> you know, for quite some time at, uh, at trying to reform those labels and, and to have a voluntary solution that's trade compliant. Uh, and we expect, you know, them to, to move forward with that, you know, hopefully uh, sometime in the next few months. Uh, but with that said, we're going to have our hands full overall. There are a lot of different issues that are happening in, in the regulatory front. It's going to be very busy uh, on, in Congress. Uh, there's no telling what all is going to come forward uh, when you have a divided Congress like this. Sometimes uh, you have some new ideas, but most likely you'll see a lot of repackaged ideas that come through. Uh, you know, gridlock is kind of the name of the game, but uh, I think there are still some opportunities for us to, to secure some wins 
for cattle producers, but also, uh, you know, to protect against some of those policies that could actually hurt us. You know, and you mentioned that product of the USA labeling, the way to write that in such a way that we can continue to maintain international trade is so vital because, Kent, we've seen trade gains growing for the cattle industry, haven't we? Well, we're we're just uh, looking at the 2022 numbers. Uh, and even though they're a little bit behind, we only have the numbers through November. We're setting, we already set a new record in exports. Uh, we surpassed the 2021 annual total of 10 billion. Uh, you know, just our 2022 exports through November were $10.9 billion. So I mean, that's a 14% increase over last year. Uh, that's uh, accounting for about $452 per head. So we're talking about this is a, a very strong overseas market. Uh, and really, of that 10.9 billion, a, a little over seven billion of that uh, is attributed to Korea, China, and Japan. So that Asian market is really growing for us. We want to continue to capitalize on that. Yeah. You know, at the same time, we are a net exporter. Uh, we do import a lot of beef, but we're a net exporter by about two billion, uh, two billion dollars. So we want to we want to make sure that you know anybody that is trading with us is held accountable, that uh, they're held to the same standards. Uh, we do have some ongoing concerns with Brazil and with uh, you know their ability to uh, to keep their international commitments. But with Product USA, this is really about making sure that if a retailer or a packer wants to use a, an origin label, that they that they only do so if it's from a verified source, and that, that and that goes through voluntary programs. There is a fine line there of where we can can actually make this a lucrative opportunity for producers, but also keep it voluntary and trade compliant. And so we're we're looking forward to working with USDA to try to find a solution in there so we can continue to benefit uh, from these strong export markets, uh, but also keep all those uh, importers accountable. Absolutely. Kent, those figures for exports in 2022 are staggering $10.9 billion in beef exports through November. Now, of course, we did see a big jump in the value of beef here across this country in 2022. Kent, do you know offhand how we did in terms of tons being exported? Was that up as well? Uh, yes. So, I mean, you know, volume was also really strong, but, you know, when it comes down to it, uh, you know, what we export is is different from what we're importing. Uh, we're importing a lot of of, of lean trimmings, and that's usually uh, some of your lower value stuff. Uh, so on that, you know, you definitely, uh, you know, volume definitely comes into play. Where we're making uh, a big difference on the export side are a lot of cuts that Americans just find less desirable. So uh, it's a lot of the offalls and things like that that aren't necessarily uh, equivalent on a weight side. So really, when I'm looking at exports, I'm looking at values and, and what values are coming back to our producers. So I mean, that $452 per head number is, is pretty strong. And we want to make sure that, you know, <clears throat> there are policies in place that allow our producers, uh, not just packers, but the producers to capitalize and, uh, and really deliver on all that demand and really take a lot of that value home with them. Bringing it back to the farm is what it all comes down to. Kent, looking out over this next year, 2023, we do have new faces. Alexis Taylor, Doug McCaleb helping promote U.S. ag exports. Is that going to be a tailwind for beef exports in 2023? I mean, you know, our motto is that, you know, if you're if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. And there's a lot of international negotiations that are happening. Uh, our government is involved in a lot of, uh, they may not be trade negotiations as far as FTAs go or free trade agreements. But, you know, when it comes to negotiating and opening markets, removing non-tariff barriers, uh, we've seen a lot of other sectors benefit from this. And now it's agriculture's turn. Uh, ag has had a few wins, but we need a lot more. And now that we have representation in both USDA and USTR uh, to help uh, take that message home and to uh, and to connect with our, uh, our our counterparts in other markets, I think this is going to be a good a better year for us. Uh, so we're very excited to to have them uh, you know in place. We look forward to working with them uh, in both their capacities. It's good to have those roles filled in D.C. Folks, we've been talking with Kent Backus, Executive Director of Government Affairs at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Stay here for more AOA when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. 
Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. This week, we're speaking with Todd Diesel, the product manager for UAN and Ammonia at CHS for a crop nutrient update. Todd, there have been some major geopolitical events happening that are impacting crop nutrient price and availability for growers here in the U.S. Can you tell us a little bit about what has been going on and what's the impact been on the markets? Yeah, really, Mike, three things come to mind. Number one, the war in the Ukraine. That's disrupted the supply of crop nutrients clear back as early as February of this year, still continuing today. The number two thing is the European gas, again, due to the war situation, has really spiked this summer. And at one time, 70% of these plants were offline. That made Europe a huge net importer. And my third bullet point would be the U.S. has become a net exporter of nitrogen, which generally does not happen. Todd, how has the 2022 fall application season positioned things looking ahead to spring? Well, overall, reports so far are that we had good phosphate demand, good potash demand this fall, and hydrous ammonia was good in most areas of the country. What we are beginning to feel, though, is that in a lot of cases, the buying habits on urea and UAN nitrogen solution are lagging what they were a year ago at this time, and that's a little concerning. Todd, what should a grower be doing today to make sure they have what they need for spring? The big thing that they can do, Mike, we need a plan. And if the grower can decide what they're going to plant and what they're going to need next spring for crop nutrients, that will give us enough time to get it in place. We do have time to fix this supply demand situation, but we need a plan from which to do that. The grower is the key to getting that information flow started. That's Todd Diesel, the product manager for UAN and Ammonia at CHS. Todd, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Mike. And thank you for joining us here around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. In farming, you know being early means you're right on time. That's why the Roundup Ready Extend crop system created the Spray Early Weed Control Guarantee. When you spray before or at planting, you can protect your investment and give your farm an advantage all season long. Find the tools and resources you need to spray early and guarantee your weed control at roundupreadyextend.com slash spray early. Guarantee is subject to program terms and conditions. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With Channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved.
This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Certainly appreciate you making us a part of your day. Looking around the world right now, if you've been watching headlines from most major media outlets, a lot of the topic has been focused on the World Economic Forum, the big international event that brings CEOs and nonprofit leaders and government officials to Davos, Switzerland, once a year to talk about economic issues. Now, we haven't spent a lot of time discussing the goings-on in Davos. It's you know, a lot of folks who fly their private jets to talk about the environment, but we do see conversations happen there that do shape conversations around the world. And we're seeing something interesting. There was a conversation, there was a comment, I should say, made by the World Trade Organization's Director General. And he was looking out at a series of legislations from governments around the world subsidizing green production. And he called everybody out on the carpet. He went and said that, quote, these are Excuse me. The European uh, plan is going to propose similar green subsidies as the Biden administration uh, proposed this past summer. And he is concerned that we are going to see a subsidization race to the bottom as these countries try to outgreen each other. And he thinks that could lead to some trouble, particularly for developing economies. So it was interesting to hear at this global forum some pushback on all of the government financing of EVs and other green programs. Now, that said, the topic in Davos is still very focused on the environment. It's still very focused on ESG investing, a topic we've covered a lot on this program. Ties back into the SEC's goal this year to force publicly traded companies to release their greenhouse gas emissions. Of course, that's their climate change disclosure that we've talked about a lot. And that has riled up a lot of folks on the ESG investing front, that environmental sustainability and governance front. One of the leaders of that ESG investing has been BlackRock, one of the world's largest hedge funds. And unsurprisingly, their CEO, Larry Fink, spoke at Davos, or one of the folks who get invited to this. And he says, quote, the narrative around ESG investing has become ugly and is creating polarization. He says that this push towards ESG investing and now the pushback against it is personal. It's the first time in his 70 years of trading, he says, that he has seen the narrative create this huge polarization. And the letters he has been receiving are certainly very personal in their attacks on ESG. And and he says he's stunned at the amount of personal vitriol that is headed his way as a result of ESG investing, but it definitely shows that there is an effective pushback from folks dealing with these issues. But all is not well in Europe. We did get an announcement from the German Minister of Environment. Steffi Lemke said earlier today that she is going to send proposals to the cabinet of Germany to withdraw from the use of crop-based biofuels, and she's doing this to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. She says, quote, biofuels stand for land consumption and loss of biological diversity. To replace only around 4% of fossil fuel use in German road transport, a land space in Germany and abroad is needed that represents about 20% of the German ag area. They, they are going to get this proposal started, and they are going to be pushing back on biofuels in Germany. Whether or not these ideas will take on and catch fire across the pond remains to be seen. Back here, domestically, we're dealing with several of our own issues in the ag industry, not least of which continues to be the ongoing surge of HPAI, that highly pathogenic avian influenza. USDA, of course, has been tracking the data on HPAI, and the ERS recently released a survey, and I think a lot of you probably know this, but having the cold hard facts behind us, I think, makes it a little more concrete. Egg prices in the week leading up to Christmas were 210% higher than they were in 2021. Phenomenal burst of inflation in eggs. And of course, it all comes back down to that HPAI. USDA confirms that the first phase of the outbreak happened from February to June. And then the second phase, the wild card phase that we've been discussing most recently, was in its worst from September to December. By the end of 2022, more than 43 million laying hens had died or been culled as a result of HPAI. Bring that data forward up into 2023, and so far, 57.8 million birds, predominantly laying hens and turkeys, 
have been died or culled from the bird flu. Egg inventories as we stand today currently 29% smaller than they were in late December versus a year earlier certainly helps explain some of those inflation-based price increases we've seen in the milk sector, excuse me, in the egg sector. Economists do expect egg prices to start to trend downward as those flocks get rebuilt across the country, but it will take time. In other protein news, Much of that diversification in the meat processing space that received a lot of headlines over the past two years is now starting to find fruition. Cattlemen's Heritage, a beef facility that has been announced for Nebraska and Iowa, have announced that they have now secured the property. They're going to buy 132 acres. They're going to spend 400, excuse me, $520 million between the land and improvements to get this processing facility up and going. They announced this would be located in Mills County, western Iowa, not too far from Nebraska. The goal is to produce up to 2,000 head per day, and it's going to be not too far from the Potawatomi-Mills County line for you Iowans who might be tuning in. This has been a long-term process. Chad Tentager is the CEO, and he said this site meets logistical requirements. The facility site should make for efficient truck traffic coming in and out of the plant, and it's relatively close to Interstate 80. This process, the The purchase is underway as of right now. Construction is expected to start fairly shortly. And we are going to see if any of these facilities will get some more federal funds as the government continues to try to encourage meat processing from new and diverse areas. Before we go for the day, we did have a quick piece of news on the broad market. Looking out at the economy, this is earnings season. Large public companies are reporting their earnings. And Bloomberg recently did a look. They're seeing Companies decline their earnings expectations at a rate they have only ever seen before preceding a recession. So the idea is these companies over the past year kept amping up their earnings and their estimates as uh, inflation continued to add more dollars to their bottom line. But now, as all of that backs out of the economy, we could see additional headwinds for global equity markets, which will certainly change the money flow, might impact commodity prices. We'll talk about it all here on AOA. Folks, thanks for tuning in. Join us tomorrow. We'll get into the crude oil industry with Brian Milney of DTN. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll see you tomorrow. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. I've been farming my whole life. I don't need somebody to come out here and state the obvious. I don't need anybody to explain my farm to me. My local co-op works with CHS, and they know what I need when I need it. A global network of support. Local expertise. And valuable market options. We need a co-op that's here for us. So we can own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. What a great organization, helping families in need like ours. It's a godsend. When an unexpected crisis strikes, Farm Rescue is here to help. Assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury, illness, or natural disaster. Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action with planting, haying, and harvest support. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand, visit farmrescue.org today. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... (laughs) Hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.